millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, November 1st, 2022, the 650th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And hey, if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the show for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. And all I ask is that you share it with your friends. So let's talk about what's happening in Brazil. On Sunday, Brazil had the second round runoff election for president. And the results, as reported, show the corrupt communist criminal Luis Inacio Lula da Silva defeating Jair Bolsonaro with just less than 51% of the vote to Bolsonaro's 49.1% of the vote. And the raw vote totals were pretty stunning. Lula is reported to have 60 million about 346,000 votes, and Bolsonaro, 58,206,000 votes. And if you had a child's brain in your skull and were trying to do all your thinking with that, you would say, well, I guess 51% of the people in Brazil want Lula to be president, so now Lula's president. Just like you would have believed that Joe Biden was capable of getting 81 million real legal American votes from his basement. And then you would have completed your Uber Eats order and gone back to playing Wordle, hoping there was something new to watch on Netflix. But if you're the sort of person that has a fully functional adult sized brain in your head, you might say, hey, how did those results happen? You might look at the 2018 election results where Bolsonaro won after there was an attempted assassination, and you would see that Bolsonaro in the 2018 election got just less than 58 million votes. So around the same number in both elections, Bolsonaro's opponent in that election only received 47 million votes. 
which means that everyone is supposed to believe that Lula, who is basically Brazil's version of Barack Obama, though Barack Hussein Obama has not actually been convicted for his crimes yet, but Lula is seen as some sort of communist hero down there. And of course, he's propped up by the media and by the globalist elements, the evil twin faction in Brazil, including the Supreme Court down there, which serves a different function than our Supreme Court. That guy was able to generate an additional 13 million votes more than Bolsonaro's opponent just four years ago. And all of that, of course, is brand new turnout. 13 million brand new voters all entered the process this cycle compared to last cycle. And apparently they all voted for Lula, even though he only won in one region of the country, the Northeast region, which is known for the powers of the drug cartels and crime and corruption. And Lula just dominated there. Bolsonaro was ahead in the election until about the halfway point, and then it just crossed over and never came back. And we achieved a 5149-ish result. I said about an hour or two before the results were finished coming in, this is going to end up being Lula 51, Bolsonaro 49. And if you've paid attention to election fraud research over the last two years in the United States, you'll know that that is the result that the machines are designed to produce because it's considered to be in the range of the believable. Now, that's not the same thing that happens in the American presidential election, of course, because presidential elections are decided by the Electoral College. So the point is to get the wins in enough states and then inflate the vote totals in the state's where fraud just can run rampant, like California, for instance, and use that inflated vote total in the thoroughly fraudulent states to then create the narrative of additional legitimacy that comes from winning the popular vote. But the popular vote isn't anything in America. That's not a real thing, no matter how many times Hillary Clinton or whoever else talks about it. The machines are designed to produce 5149 results. That's what the algorithm brings. And that's exactly what we ended up seeing in the Brazilian election. But Bolsonaro is not going to go quietly. He has not called Lula. He has not conceded. There are massive protests in Brazil right now. And the military is auditing the election. The military audited the first round as well. Information is coming out of Brazil that Bolsonaro was elected with 65% of the vote. And there will be a military audit report coming soon, potentially today. Bolsonaro is scheduled to speak tonight. And there is anticipation of considerable unrest. There is the expectation that members of the Supreme Court may be arrested. People involved with the election fraud obviously would be arrested. And it's looking right now like there is a very strong chance that the world is going to understand that elections are stolen worldwide. Brazil is a major country. We've talked on this podcast at length about places like Myanmar and Burkina Faso where elections are stolen and the military steps in to correct the situation. But that hasn't happened in any place with the size or the power of a country like Brazil. They are two thirds the size of the United States in terms of population. And there's not going to be any way to hide what's going on. there. If Bolsonaro comes out tonight and says that he is contesting the result, the military has audited the election. They have the final results. Bolsonaro won 65% of the vote. What then? I guess we'll see because it seems like it's going to be happening. But since we'll know more soon, I don't want to speculate too much about that. But I do want to examine some of the narrative leading up to the election and some of what we've been hearing since Sunday. So let's start with the mouthpiece of the global propaganda state media, Reuters. 
they are always the one to give the official story about elections worldwide. So let's see what they're saying about Brazil and keep a particular focus on how they are manipulating the narrative while they're reporting what happened. This article is from Sunday and the headline is Lula narrowly defeats Bolsonaro to win Brazil presidency again. Kind of makes him sound like he's the incumbent, doesn't it? Luis Inacio Lula da Silva narrowly defeated President Jair Bolsonaro in a runoff election on Sunday that marked a stunning comeback for the leftist former president and the end of Brazil's most right wing government in decades. That is a pretty powerful statement from Reuters, a stunning comeback, really. So what is Lula coming back from? They are implying that the comeback is from Lula being imprisoned for corruption and then being let out of prison by the corrupt Supreme Court. They certainly can't call his election victory a comeback in terms of the polling. He was projected to win in the first round by 14 points in the polls. That didn't happen. They've kept him up in the polls since then, naturally to support the narrative of an eventual Lula win. They have to set it up in advance so that when it happens, it was exactly what everyone expected. The vote was a rebuke for the fiery far-right populism of Bolsonaro, who emerged from the back benches of Congress to forge a novel conservative coalition, but lost support as Brazil ran up one of the worst death tolls of the coronavirus pandemic. That's the story they're going with. Now, consider Bolsonaro, obviously, to be a parallel to Donald Trump. And consider this entire situation in light of the U.S. election in 2020. I said a few weeks, maybe a couple of months ago, that I thought what we would see in this Brazil election is either the U.S., in 2020, that they are stuck where we were stuck two years ago, or perhaps they were ahead of where we were, and it would look more like the situation that we will see in 2024. Well, it seems that they are actually in our situation from 2020. But look at the framing here. Bolsonaro is a far-right populist. Is Trump a far-right populist? No, he's just a populist and a nationalist. His priorities are a sovereign America that allows the sovereign individual to exist. The global communists have the exact opposite priorities. They want one world global government where they get to rule over everyone and tell everyone what to do. And they want enough controls on people's behavior. They want to be able to control their lives so specifically that those people have no choice but to devote their lives to supporting the regime. This is how it always goes in communist nations. And naturally, it would go the same way if the world was just one big nation governed by global communists. They are claiming that he was once very popular, but now two and a half years in to the pandemic period, the country wanted a change because they were mad about COVID. That should make absolutely no sense to anyone. And of course, this is the exact same narrative they ran to explain why Donald Trump had lost in 2020. Sure, he gained 12 million votes, a full 20% over his 2016 total. But people were so mad at how Donald Trump handled COVID that they came out and voted for the old, corrupt, degenerate pervert who can't think in complete sentences and campaigned from his basement. They were so mad about COVID. And Brazil's people who support the parallel of Trump are also apparently so mad about COVID. Brazil is so mad about COVID that 13 million brand new voters came out and voted for Lula, giving him his narrow win. On its face, it makes no sense. They're going with the same 2020 playbook that everyone has already heard and no one believes. How many people do you know who are mad about the way COVID was handled and have moved more toward the direction of the global communists? 
who gave us the pandemic. Who gave us the pandemic? Straight from a lab, which means, oops, scientific failure. Do you think the people in Brazil don't know that masks don't work and lockdowns don't work and vaccines don't work? Who in the world could ever believe that people upset about COVID would then go and choose team lockdown? It's hilarious, actually. Charlie Crist, who's contesting Ron DeSantis in Florida, says he would think about bringing back COVID mitigation strategies in case there's an uptick, a resurgence of the very deadly pandemic this winter. Kind of makes it sound like they're going to try that after they get obliterated a week from today in the midterm elections. Bolsonaro remained silent on Sunday night after the results were announced and some of his allies publicly acknowledged his defeat, defying expectations that he might immediately challenge the narrow result after making baseless claims of fraud in previous elections. You got that? Baseless claims. There's no evidence. It's like they don't know the military is auditing it, except they do know that. So why aren't they being responsible and waiting for all the facts to come in? It's worth pointing out that they slipped one of their other slogans into that paragraph, talking about how some of Bolsonaro's allies publicly acknowledged his defeat. Well, there you go with another 2020 parallel. Some Republicans said that Donald Trump actually lost. And if you have a child-sized brain rattling around in your adult-sized skull, that makes it sound like Bolsonaro is somehow isolated. Even his own allies say he lost. Got the same story about Trump. Doesn't mean anything. He either did or didn't lose. The election was either stolen or not. There was either fraud or not. There is nothing that changes the underlying facts of the situation, no matter how the narrative evolves, no matter what the courts say, no matter what the media says, no matter what the allies, supposed allies of the candidates say, there was either fraud or there was not. And they will not address that part, although the military will. Lula said in a speech he would unite a divided country and ensure that Brazilians put down arms that never should have been taken up while inviting international cooperation to preserve the Amazon rainforest and make global trade more fair. And that sounds exactly like the nonsense coming out of the Biden campaign after the 2020 election. He was going to unite everyone. Remember David Chalian on CNN saying that the lights down the reflecting pool leading to the Washington Monument, they were like Joe Biden's arms reaching out to embrace the nation. And Joe Biden was going to save the earth from the sun. He would make everything more fair and more equal. We would have diversity. We would have inclusion. Everything was going to be just great. Except look around. Nothing is great. Joe Biden, fake president that he is, is still overseeing the worst presidency in American history. And the nation has not become more united at all, at least not in the way Joe Biden wanted it to be. And not in the way we were told it would be where both sides are finally coming together and finding some common ground. That hasn't happened at all. The country is more united because the country has come our direction significantly and are finding out that Donald Trump wasn't their problem. And so they are uniting around our position, which is wonderful. But the division in society that everyone was told would go away has only been continually stoked by Joe Biden and by the media. Joe Biden, remember, a couple of months ago was in Philadelphia with his Nazi overlord backdrop, calling Americans semi-fascists, talking about how we were domestic terrorists. They're even pretending that Paul Pelosi's underwear battle with Hammerman is an example of political violence. The entire thing is ridiculous. Joe Biden is not a unifier and Lula is not there to unify anyone. If he was, he wouldn't be a corrupt politician and he wouldn't be stealing elections. I will govern for 215 million Brazilians and not just for those who voted for me. 
Lula said at his campaign headquarters. There are not two Brazils. We are one country, one people, one great nation. Sounds exactly like all the things that Joe Biden would say. Lula arrived at a rally in Sao Paulo shortly after 8 p.m., waving from the sunroof of a car. Ecstatic supporters near Paulista Avenue waited for him, chanting slogans and drinking champagne. And we saw that in America as well. Remember that Saturday morning, November 7th, when the media decided that Joe Biden had finally won? Biden announced it the night before. And then Saturday morning, midday, People began leaving their houses and ringing bells and drinking champagne. At least that's what happened in Los Angeles. If you were in a communist controlled city, you probably would have seen the same thing. But hey, good for them. I'm glad they got their opportunity to celebrate something that didn't actually happen and is going to be taken away from them. Vice President Geraldo Alkmin and campaign aides jumped up and down chanting, it's time, Jair, it's time to leave already. In a video circulating on social media, ooh, viral content. A political actor pretending to be happy and confident. We never see anything like that. Last year, Bolsonaro, 67, openly discussed refusing to accept the results of the vote. A senior Bolsonaro campaign aide, speaking on condition of anonymity, said he would not make a speech on Sunday. The Bolsonaro campaign did not respond to a request for comment. One close Bolsonaro ally, lawmaker Carla Zambelli, in an apparent nod to Lula's victory, wrote on Twitter, I promise you, I will be the greatest opposition that Lula has ever imagined. And you can see the controlled opposition inherent in that statement. We see the same thing from American rhinos. They will happily talk about how Joe Biden's not doing this or Joe Biden's not doing that. And then they will help Joe Biden implement his agenda because they themselves are part of the systemic corruption. They want the system to remain in place because they know what they've done. They need the system to remain in place. Electoral authorities are bracing for him to dispute the outcome, sources told Reuters, and made security preparations in case his supporters stage protests. You see that supporters of the populists of the sovereign nationalists are not allowed to protest. But on the flip side, the communists are always allowed to protest. In fact, they're encouraged to protest. They are bailed out of jail after being put there for rioting so that they can go back out and riot again and call it a very peaceful protest. Their protests are funded. BLM Antifa is funded. BLM, we always forget about this, but BLM in 2020 was routing their donations through the Democrat payment platform Act Blue. And now no one knows where that money is. Although the BLM leaders have Houses that they bought, million dollar houses. So I guess someone's doing something productive with it. But you can look at the Transition Integrity Project. You can read Molly Ball's article in Time magazine, and you will know that protests were planned and at the ready in case Donald Trump did the wrong thing. So on one side, the protests are sanctioned and sponsored and protected. And on the other side, security preparations are being made. In case anyone protests the election fraud they've witnessed with their own eyes. U.S. President Joe Biden congratulated Lula for winning free, fair, and credible elections, joining a chorus of compliments from European and Latin American leaders. And let's pause for a second and look at Joe Biden's statement. He said, I send my congratulations to Luis Inacio Lula da Silva on his election to be the next president of Brazil following free, fair and credible elections. I look forward to working together to continue the cooperation between our two countries in the months and years ahead. Why isn't Joe Biden being responsible? Why isn't Joe Biden waiting for all the facts to come in? Does Joe Biden not know that the military was auditing and monitoring the elections? Of course he knows that. So what is he doing? He's setting a narrative. There is absolutely no way in the world that Joe Biden could have known the Brazil election was free, fair or credible. He released this statement right after the election results were generated by machines and reported by the media. 
And let's travel back in time just about five weeks ago. This is also Reuters. U.S. tells Lula it plans to quickly recognize Brazil election winner, sources say. U.S. diplomats have assured Brazil's leading presidential candidate, leftist former president Luis Inácio Lula da Silva, that they will swiftly recognize the winner of next month's election, two sources told Reuters, seeking to avert any attempt to contest a legitimate result or sow chaos after the vote. Isn't that amazing? The illegitimate regime in the United States tells Lula that they will quickly recognize the winner. Well, why didn't they tell Bolsonaro that? Was Lula just destined to win? With just days to go until the first round vote on October 2nd, Lula is ahead in the polls against President Jair Bolsonaro, a far-right populist who has sought to discredit Brazil's electronic voting system. Critics fear Bolsonaro may follow the example of former U.S. President Donald Trump and refuse to accept an electoral defeat. One of the sources who requested anonymity to discuss the confidential talks said that in a meeting on Wednesday, Lula asked Douglas Conef, the top U.S. diplomat in Brazil, for a quick U.S. recognition if he does win, either in the first round vote or in an October 30th runoff. Lula was told that Washington plans to immediately recognize the results, regardless of who wins setting an example for other nations to follow suit and minimize the chance of a contested result, the source added. Lula foreign policy advisor Chelso Amorim heard similar assurances on Thursday when he met with a group of diplomats from Latin America and the Caribbean, the other sources said. A third source said many other European countries are also planning for swift recognition of Brazil's election results. You got that? So all of the global communist regimes are on the same page. They're going to immediately recognize Lula as the winner as soon as the results are in. In response to a request for comment, a U.S. State Department spokesperson did not mention the Lula meeting, but said in a statement that get togethers with presidential candidates do not imply support for a particular individual party or platform. The spokesperson added that the State Department trusts in the strength of Brazil's democratic institutions. Oh, well, if that's the case, why do you need to talk to one particular party and tell them that you plan to swiftly recognize the result of the election after that person wins? It's an interesting cover from the State Department. They want it out there that the U.S. is going to recognize the result, but they don't want to take too much responsibility for it because then it would seem like they're manipulating another country's election. And it is an odd position to take swiftly recognizing the result of an election when you know that the military is auditing the result of that election and that they at some point will be weighing in on it. Still scarred by the January 6th, 2021 assault on the U.S. Capitol by Trump supporters, the administration of President Joe Biden has grown increasingly concerned with Bolsonaro's baseless allegations of electoral fraud, sending high-level delegations to Brasilia to urge him to commit to democratic norms. Again, the norms are what they always go with. Why aren't they going with what the law allows? Why can't we simply follow the law? For that matter, why can't we do it here? Why did the illegitimate president go ahead with the certification of fraudulent electors and the absurdly empty inauguration ceremony that Bernie Sanders wore mittens to? Why has Joe Biden proceeded on as if he is a legitimate president without waiting for the legal process to play out? Donald Trump never conceded. The court cases are still ongoing. The evidence is absolutely everywhere, but they don't care. And they don't care about it in Brazil either, which is why they're swiftly recognizing an election they know is being audited by the military. Reuters reported in May that the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency director last year told senior Brazilian officials that Bolsonaro should stop casting doubt on the voting system. Really? Well, why is the CIA weighing in on what another country's president should say about their elections? What exactly is going on there? What role does the CIA have 
in weighing in on Brazil's elections. If they were operating in good faith, why aren't they concerned about whether or not Brazil's elections are fraudulent? Why aren't they concerned about whether or not our elections are fraudulent? It almost makes it seem like they're in on it. And it almost makes them seem like they're doing things in other countries, just like they always have been doing. How many people would even pretend to claim that the CIA has not overthrown governments of other countries? This used to be a normal thing back in the 70s and 80s. Countries all around the world, Central American countries, South American countries. None of it is even unusual. But we're just supposed to pretend that all of that history doesn't exist and our CIA has some sort of stake in the outcome of Brazil's elections, has a reason to be commenting that the president of Brazil shouldn't be talking about whether or not their election system is a system that produces fraud. All it takes to get there is enough infiltration from the global communists that the election system can be changed to produce the desired outcomes. One of the sources said that in a meeting with CONEF, Lula thanked the United States for having expressed faith in Brazil's voting system. So Lula has a good reason. The CIA has a good reason. Joe Biden has a good reason to tell everyone in the world that Brazil's election system is just perfect. So perfect that we actually don't need to wait for the results of the military audit. We can just say the system's perfect. Lula won. Let's everybody move on. Let's begin the process of uniting. But it went even deeper than that. Bernie Sanders and some other communists in the Senate passed a resolution urging the government of Brazil to ensure that the October 2022 elections are conducted in a free, fair, credible, transparent and peaceful manner. Otherwise, the U.S. must reconsider its relations with the Brazilian government and suspend cooperation programs, including in the military area. Ooh, that's so threatening, especially to a country that already has significant allies. And especially as they witness the complete and total disasters created by Joe Biden first in Afghanistan and now in Ukraine. Oh, no, they're not going to cooperate anymore. Bernie Sanders and some other complicit communist senators and congressmen actually met with a delegation from Brazil. They wanted to make it clear that stakeholders needed to stand up and do something if the election results were challenged. Bernie Sanders himself said, what I heard from the delegation unfortunately sounds all too familiar to me because of the efforts of Donald Trump and his friends to undermine American democracy. I'm not surprised that Bolsonaro is trying to do the same in Brazil. We really hope that the result of the elections will be recognized and respected and that democracy will, in fact, prevail in Brazil. And of course, Bernie Sanders wants that. Bernie Sanders has been a communist for 60 years, and I know he calls himself a democratic socialist. He can't describe what that is or what that means, and he would certainly never be able to describe the limits of democratic socialism and where on the road to communism he might stop. But he knows that it's the best way to ensure the people have the best possible life, even though none of those policies have ever worked anywhere. And I know, I know, Bernie bros, you think they're working so well in Scandinavia because that's what the TV told you. But that's not true either. But let's return to the main article from Reuters. His victory consolidates a new pink tide in Latin America after landmark leftist victories in Colombia and Chile's elections, echoing a regional political shift two decades ago that introduced Lula to the world stage. You got that? There is a communist resurgence in South America. All it takes is for a perfect election system to be in place. Lula has vowed a return to state-driven economic growth. Does that ever work? course not. And social policies that helped lift millions out of poverty 
when he was previously president from 2003 to 2010. And again, they will always say that that has been the argument for the Chinese Communist Party in China, that they've lifted all of these people out of poverty. They call their system state capitalism, just like the World Economic Forum calls their system stakeholder capitalism. It doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. Different situations, slightly different brands of what's going on, but the ultimate result is the same. It is a communist society top down and imagined equality for everyone, depending on how much they're willing to serve the state and how valuable they are in serving the state. And it's not hard to see. Look at the actors in Hollywood, for example, who are politically active online. They put out the state's propaganda. They are useful idiots, all of them, and they are paid, promoted, and glorified for doing so. They are valuable members of the state because they support the state broadly to people who pay attention to them, to people who respect them for some reason. He also promises to combat destruction of the Amazon rainforest now at a 15 year high and make Brazil a leader in global climate talks. Now, that is not a real problem. And you can listen to Bolsonaro explain why it's not if you don't believe me, or you can just recognize that this is the same narrative that they play all around the world. Everything is about the environment. Everything is about climate change. The only way we can save the earth from the sun is by keeping communists in office. There were four years of hatred, of negation of science, said Anna Valeria Doria, 60, a doctor in Rio de Janeiro, who celebrated with a drink. It won't be easy for Lula to manage the division in this country, but for now, it's pure happiness. It's strange that Reuters doesn't quote any Brazilian doctors who might not be drinking in pure happiness. A former union leader born into poverty, Lula organized strikes against Brazil's military government in the 1970s. His two-term presidency was marked by a commodity-driven economic boom, and he left office with record popularity. So he basically brought in the global communist order, allowed them to begin extracting resources, putting Brazil on the agenda, and the money flowed in, just like we talked about last week where once George Soros and members of the illegitimate Biden administration overturned and overthrew the government in Ukraine, Soros and the globalists began investing there and propping up businesses that they extracted the profits from. However, his workers' party was later tarred by a deep recession and a record-breaking corruption scandal that jailed him for 19 months on bribery convictions, which were overturned by the Supreme Court last year. In his third term, Lula will confront a sluggish economy, tighter budget constraints, and a more hostile legislature. Bolsonaro's allies formed the largest bloc in Congress after this month's general election and won the races for governor in Brazil's three most economically powerful states, highlighting the enduring strength of his conservative coalition. It also highlights the fact that the people didn't vote for Lula because they were mad about COVID and then just accidentally voted for all the politicians who rode Bolsonaro's coattails. Same thing that happened here. Remember how Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes and the Democrat congressional majority shrunk? Remember how Donald Trump won the bellwether states and the bellwether counties? Remember how Joe Biden's entire victory was achieved in the middle of the night? And he won because black voters turned out more for the man who was mentored by a Klansman and said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black than they did for Barack Obama, but only in a select few cities in the swing states that won Joe Biden the election. It should be easy to see that nothing is legitimate about any of this. And it is strange to consider how they manipulate our perspective. There are obviously so many glaring problems with the election in Brazil, same as there were with our election in 2020. 
And there's this phenomenon where people just absolutely overlook all of this stuff that is just right in their face because they've been told to expect all these anomalies, which makes them seem like they aren't anomalies. They're just stuff that can happen. They're given a convoluted and complicated explanation of why they should be prepared to expect all of these things that would naturally be seen as impossible. They run stories about how the election will be supported by the other countries immediately. They run stories about how great the election system is, even though everyone at this point knows that the election machines are a problem. They were able to convince Biden voters that our election system is perfect, even though Democrats have spent years saying that the voting machines can be hacked and manipulated and the results can't be trusted. All of that is ignored because they have to cement the chosen outcome. And to do that, they need half the population on their side. Now, the sad part is that these people know that they're ignoring these obvious anomalies. They've been given explanations as to why they would see them. And the explanations don't even really make sense. And people understand that people understand that they're pretty flimsy explanations, but they also understand that enough people will agree with these explanations so that when you say them in polite company, people will be like, yeah, you're right. I heard that too. Everybody knew that because of COVID, it was going to take a few extra days to count all the ballots, even though it didn't in Florida, it didn't in Texas, and it doesn't in most states. But in certain states, it takes a few extra days. In California, it takes a few extra weeks and everybody stops paying attention. And eventually, California just chooses whatever results they want, especially down ballot. They steal DA races. They steal city council races. They steal ballot measures all that way. They don't give out the results. They say the results are going to take a little longer. People wait a week. They wait two weeks. They wait three weeks. Then the results just come in. They're never really announced. They're reported here and there. It doesn't make headlines and no one ever checks again. And our politics are just further infiltrated with illegitimate officials. And then those illegitimate officials change things even more to make the grip on power even tighter, to make it even easier to preserve fraudulent outcomes in elections. In Brazil, they even went so far as to accuse Bolsonaro supporters of voter suppression. And of course, we can see that here in the U.S. right now, too. They were trying to claim that a couple of men in Arizona dressed up in tactical gear and had guns and were trying to intimidate voters from going to the ballot drop boxes. Now, what they were trying to do was get the citizens watching those drop boxes moved out of there to make it so that no one could watch the ballot drop boxes at all. No one could stop the ballot mules. And so they hired a couple of guys to come on down, completely covered, head to toe, wearing masks, They let the pictures out. They send the pictures out to the nation, MSNBC and CNN, the New York Times and the Washington Post. They all run with it. MAGA extremists are intimidating voters in Arizona and the courts held up people's right to watch the ballot drop boxes. And it's still in an ongoing challenge. Democrat fraud lawyer Mark Elias is still pushing on it. And naturally, this is what you want to do if you are a pathological liar or an institution built on pathological lying like our mainstream media. This is Forbes talking about Brazil a couple of days ago. Brazil election police accused of pro Bolsonaro voter suppression in high stakes presidential race. Reports of police officers in Brazil blocking key highways and pulling over buses filled with voters on the way to the polls Sunday gave rise to allegations of voter suppression amid a tense presidential runoff election between Brazil's right wing President Jair Bolsonaro, nicknamed Tropical Trump and leftist former president Luis Inacio Lula da Silva that could steer the country in dramatically different directions. Think about how ridiculous this is. The police are trying to stop people from voting. That's what they're going with. They're stealing an election completely and they're accusing the other side of doing it so that 
their own supporters feel aggrieved, extra aggrieved when that election is challenged. Bolsonaro has now come out and spoken and said that he will not be conceding the election, but that he is going to go along with the Constitution and the transition process will be allowed to move forward as things are sorted out. I guess that he is being responsible and waiting for all the facts to come in. The side that steals elections can accuse the other side of anything, but the side who has their election stolen can't even talk about the fact that the election is stolen. They can't show the evidence of the election steal. They can't talk about how impossible the election result is. The double standard is unbelievable. What kind of point are we reaching in our elections and the way we think about our elections that we have just decided there is absolutely no way that an election result could ever be wrong, unless, of course, the communists lose, and no one is ever allowed to talk about how the election results could be wrong, unless the communists lose. When and if Bolsonaro acts, when and if the military in their audits shows overwhelming, widespread, rampant fraud that surely decided the outcome of the election, the media will say that Bolsonaro is staging a coup, just like they said that about Donald Trump with January 6th. Do you think that we'll see a January 6th parallel in Brazil? It's very possible. They do it in other countries. This is just the color revolution playbook playing out now in Brazil as it's continued to play out in the United States, as it's played out in Eastern Europe, as it's played out in Ukraine. This is what they do. And the more obvious it gets, the less we're allowed to say it. We are not allowed to talk about it. That's what the censorship is for. YouTube has announced that you are just not allowed to question the election results in Brazil at all. They will censor absolutely all of it. Now, changing subjects without a segue, I want to update a bit about the Paul Pelosi attack story. The FBI agent, Special Agent Stephanie Miner, submitted an affidavit yesterday with some more details about what was happening in the Paul Pelosi attack. And naturally, the same people who are wrong about everything and constantly lying see an affidavit from the FBI, think that every word of it is absolutely true and factual beyond a shadow of a doubt, even though the first part of the affidavit talks about how a lot of the information that Special Agent Stephanie Miner is relaying is not information directly from her and she's paraphrasing and she's going with the best information she has, but that it's enough to justify the warrant. Now, the thing with Stephanie Miner is that she has a history of being the special agent in charge of the investigations about MAGA extremist violence. And so I want to go through an LA Times article about the last time she did this. And it's worth noting exactly when these two attacks happened. The Paul Pelosi thing obviously happened less than two weeks before the midterm elections. And the last one happened just a week after Joe Biden's illegitimate inauguration. This is the LA Times from January 29th, 2021. Extremist accused of plotting to attack Newsom, a dangerous Nazi sympathizer or a mouthy drunk? Oh, a Nazi sympathizer. You mean like people who voted for Joe Biden and are now supporting Nazis in Ukraine or a different kind of Nazi sympathizer? Diverging portraits emerged Friday of the far right supporter from Napa, whom authorities arrested this month on weapons charges and said might have been plotting to kill California Governor Gavin Newsom. In court Friday, a Napa County prosecutor said auto repair shop owner Ian Rogers built five large pipe bombs, possessed machine guns and extensive body armor, used encrypted communications to chat with like minded extremists and is part of the right wing group that does call itself the three percenters. And of course, you know, the three percenters, that group that they made up, who was apparently at the Capitol, very real group, certainly not infiltrated 
by the FBI, like the group of people who plotted to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer or the various groups of people that staged the very violent insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. According to an FBI affidavit written by none other than Stephanie Minor, Rogers, 43, made multiple threats in text messages to attack Democratic targets and ensure that Trump stayed in office. In the texts, Rogers stated, Let's see what happens. Then we act and later added, I'm thinking sack office first target, then maybe bird and face offices. Okay. FBI special agent Stephanie Miner in an affidavit attached to the charges said the texts were indications of his target. I believe that when Rogers said sack office first target, he meant that their first target should be the offices of California Governor Gavin Newsom in Sacramento. I further believe that when Rogers said that the bird and face offices would be next, he meant the offices of Twitter and Facebook because both social media platforms had locked Trump's accounts to prevent him from sending messages on those platforms. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's like every single narrative that they needed to push right at that time. It just all folded right into this story. That came right after the inauguration and the very violent insurrection. This Paul Pelosi story, we're told because of a blog that does not seem to be real at all, that he was a anti-vaxxer, a climate denier, an election denier. He was an Amber Heard hater. He was a QAnon. He was all of the things that any child-brained Biden voter would think are the scariest things in the world. The people just about to do violence to them all the time. It's got everything all wrapped up in one just perfectly. And isn't it amazing that Stephanie Miner has now done the Newsom potential attack and the Nancy Pelosi assassination attempt? They are basically family. It's amazing. They must have formed a really close relationship with Stephanie Minor by now. Rogers also stated in a text that he was not going down without a fight, according to the federal criminal complaint. But Rogers' attorney, Jesse Raphael, described his client as a survivalist, family man, and mouthy drunk. It's too bad it wasn't Sally Jesse Raphael. Anyone remember her? Just afternoons with Sally Jesse and Phil Donahue. When he drinks, and he does drink, he says stupid things and writes really stupid things, Raphael said. He said the charges were overblown and that his client was not a member of an extremist group and didn't intend to harm anyone. He entered a not guilty plea on Rogers' behalf. After hearing both arguments, Napa County Superior Court Judge Elia Ortiz cut Rogers' bail from $5 million to $1.5 million, still 10 times what his attorney said was merited. Rogers, wearing a mask and headphones, appeared in court via video feed on Zoom from the jail. His manner was calm and he said very little. The three percenters, according to Brian Levin, director of the Center for Study of Hate and Extremism at Cal State San Bernardino, are Second Amendment insurrectionists whose members, quote, maintain when the government acts tyrannical, they have a subjective right to armed rebellion. And I mean, sure. okay. There's definitely no precedent for that idea. Three percenters have been tied to a violent plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Isn't that amazing? They can say this with full confidence in the L.A. Times at the end of January 2021. I wonder if they would be so confident in writing that now, since 12 out of the 18 men accused in the Governor Whitmer kidnapping plot were FBI agents or informants or in contact with federal law enforcement officials. The Whitmer kidnapping was absolutely a setup in every possible regard. If you don't believe me, Julie Kelly has done excellent work on this at American Greatness, and Darren Beatty does excellent work on it at Revolver. Raphael insisted that the Napa County Sheriff's Office and FBI ignored since the fall a tip from a disgruntled employee about Rogers, only to act upon it after the riot at the Capitol on January 6th. Isn't that amazing? So now they have the ability to say, well, 
Yes, we've been warned about this person. He actually has a record of this behavior, but we didn't act on it at the time. We just didn't think there was enough there. But here he is ready to go attack the governor. Maybe we should start asking when the last time that a school shooter or someone accused of political violence wasn't in touch with the FBI already. He said the authorities mischaracterized the items that were found. He said what the government called Nazi memorabilia in a safe at British Auto Repair in Napa, along with the pipe bombs, were remembrances of Roger's father's fight against the Nazis and that a white privilege card was no more than a novelty joke given to him by a friend. He literally had a fake credit card that said white privilege card. And it said 0045 as all the numbers. It was 0045, and on and on. So his father's war memorabilia and that little joke of a card, that's the proof that he's a Nazi and a racist. Deputy District Attorney Amy McLeod said the Nazi memorabilia included a rare Waffen SS knife and that Rogers made threats against Democrats and checked the locations of a Democratic headquarters and the office of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Of course, McLeod also said, given Rogers arsenal of illegal weapons, that he posed a clear public safety threat. McLeod said that the January 15th search of Rogers business led to the recovery of 49 firearms, including four machine guns and four other weapons that are illegal in California and 15,000 rounds of ammunition. The pipe bombs measured three or four inches wide and nearly eight inches long and were made with galvanized steel with caps and fuses that would turn to shrapnel when ignited. Hey, FBI, who was the pipe bomber? On January 6th, down in D.C. at the RNC and the DNC. Well, Darren Beatty from Revolver has blown that story completely apart, too. And no one has any idea of who that person was. They've found grandmothers across the country and imprisoned them. But no one has any idea who the pipe bomber was. Does anyone believe any of this nonsense anymore? The judge set a preliminary hearing in state court for Rogers on March 17th on 28 felony charges, including possession of an illegal silencer and multiple unregistered assault weapons. And those are probably just AR-15s. I mean, everything counts as an assault weapon now. Federal prosecutors have also charged him with possessing illegal explosives. So we have an FBI that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is corrupt. We have these extremist organizations that we know are infiltrated, if not started by federal law enforcement. And we have the same sorts of events yielding the same sorts of narratives right around big political moments where they are necessary for narrative enhancement. They actually need at certain times to drive home the idea that MAGA supporters are violent and they're going to attack everybody. And so what you need to do is support the Democrats, no matter what, no matter how illegitimate they seem, no matter how much they ruin the country, no matter how much they stoke racism and division, no matter how the economy goes, how many millions of illegal aliens flood into the country. None of that matters when they are able to dig down deep into people's most basic fears. They are playing on the fear of the other. They have separated these people so far from reality that they have absolutely no idea why any of us think any of the things we think or believe any of the things we believe. We can understand why they think the things they think they are lied to all day long about absolutely everything. And they think the same about us, of course, but we are the ones who actually check and they don't. And we know they don't. And they know they don't. And they will say that they don't. They'll say, you know, politics, it's just, you know, it just really is. It's an uncomfortable subject. And I don't think we should talk about it. I just... You know, I really think that there are more important things in life, more important things to spend my time on. I know you put a lot of time into that, but that's just not the sort of thing I'm interested in. I don't have the time to spend that you have on it. 
And they never actually consider that that means in a very important way, they have no idea what they're talking about. So when they're saying your media lies to you and we're saying, no, it's actually your media that lies to you. And we're the ones who actually check and know how to verify our facts in an empirical observable reality. It should be pretty clear about what's actually going on. The observable reality doesn't work for Democrats because the observable reality in the observable reality, Democrats are terrible at everything and absolutely evil in an undeniable way. The only way to deny it is to fully embrace the false reality and to never, ever check. And they won't check because they know they're wrong. They have that sense inside. Something must be wrong. If I check, it might not be the thing I'm told it is. So if I don't check and the public narrative just goes on, then I can just continue going along with that until the public decides that everything I've done is wrong. Well, no one's going to know. No one's going to hold me accountable for it because everybody's doing it. And once again, you have re-arrived right back at Child Brain Station. And when you point it out and you tell them all the ways that the story they believe is absolutely wrong, they'll call you a conspiracy theorist. They'll say it's irresponsible. They'll say your rhetoric is dangerous and then they'll push for more censorship. And when you say, hey, how's this rhetoric dangerous? They point to events like this staged attempt at maybe bombing something somewhere. They'll point to the kidnapping plot of Gretchen Whitmer, which was staged. They'll point to the January 6th, very violent insurrection, which was staged. And they'll point to this Pelosi incident, an attempted assassination of the Speaker of the House. Does that sound like what this is? He was going to kidnap the Speaker of the House. He walked to the House. He was in his underwear. He's basically a homeless man. That lives in a hippie commune. He does drugs all day. There's a Black Lives Matter LGBTQIA plus 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 flag outside his house. All of it is nonsense, but it doesn't matter because it allows the communists to be scared of the other, to hate the other. It is a hate movement and the hate is the only way they can win. And it's also the most effective way to continue the censorship regime and make sure no one can ever call them on anything. They get out ahead of the story. They push their story. They tell everyone what the story means. And if anyone challenges it, those people are personally attacked for as long as it takes to get them to shut up. Now, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound like being responsible and waiting for all the facts to come in. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.
In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!